Welcome everyone back to another episode of Lance Curve. We have a very accomplished, I will not say guest, because by the time this show is over, you will know her to be family. Dr. Ade, if you have not heard of her, trust me, you will understand why I say that she is one of the most important guests and family members that we have on this show. I will also say, and that takes so long, we have many people on YouTube who steal other people's content and spit it back. Well, I'm quite sure a lot of what people say, the fraudulent people out here who have not put in years of study, have taken from our sister here, our queen here, our queen mother here. And this is going to be something that you never heard before. You're going to realize that she has done work that others haven't. And I truly appreciate all that she has put in. I'm going to shut up right now. Dr. Day, I'm glad to have you in. Let's have the conversation like we did last night, but I'm going to pretty much shut up. I have so much respect and love for you for what you've done. And you're going to be on here regular as much as you want, because what you share is very, very important. And I want to emphasize the amount of time that you have been researching. And I want you to tell everybody that before you even start to share what it is that you're sharing. This is going to burn the internet up, seriously. First of all, let me thank you for the invitation. Uh, I don't mind saying that yours is the only show that I have agreed to be on. There was another one, but the vibes were not quite right. Thank you. So it never, it never became soup. I didn't go on. I chose not to. I understand. So I'm very honored to be on your show. I've been watching you for a long time. And it was on one of your shows, you said something. And to anyone else, probably that statement, I don't remember what it was. Wow. But you made just a simple statement that seems like an everyday statement. But it hit my ear differently. I don't often chime in to, you know, give my comments to a lot of things. But I did that day. And what I said was, Lance, I recognize you. I see you for who you are. And who you are, I recognize you as a chosen one. I don't know if anyone ever told you that. It doesn't matter. I know you are one. I don't know how you see yourself, but from then on, I began to look at you and listen to you more closely and listen to what you were saying more deeply. So I am greatly honored to be on your show. I feel like I'm at home after speaking with you at length. <laughs> 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 Beautiful conversation. 
I so enjoyed it. Yes, yes. Yes. I'm hoping I can add to your show. Oh, let me just interject. Let me tell you something. You are the show. Add on, I'm hoping I am worthy enough to be the plate that holds the meal that you are. What a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but I also have to say that I thank you for <laughs> seeing me. I don't know and never knew how I came off to people. I just, I made a promise in 2001 when I first got online, I said, I'm always going to be myself. And over the years, mm -hmm. I've evolved and things that I said maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that I might not say right now because my perspectives have grown. And I know that with our exchanges here publicly, that my perspectives are going to grow faster than they ever did before. So if I'm one who is chosen, that elevates you to something much higher because after knowing your trajectory, your path, your dedication and commitment to our people, I know that I'm in the right place. Different things have happened to me recently in my life in a good way. But talking with you last night was confirmation because your spirit, your essence. Like I told you, I hold you on the same level as I do my very dignified mother who has transitioned. You are cut from the same cloth. You and her would be the best of friends and understand each other. That's why me, I can understand you because I have her DNA and you have that same DNA. And it's not just because she's my mother, but I hold you in high regard immediately as soon as I looked into your eyes, I said that you're bigger than an educator. You're not, you're not a mere educator. It's a spiritual thing. You're put here on this earth to do this work and I'm amping it up. Yes, I am. I told all kinds of people today about you and the conversation we had. And I said that what you share, no one else has shared on the internet. All of these people who pretend to be some something big that put their costumes on like we said see for you it's not a costume right this is you but we have so many frauds and the light that you share starting with this one because there's a whole lot of shows we're going to do the people are going to know the real because when truth shows up falsehood flees so let's get ready to chase them away and let me let you flow i'm going to be right here with you but i'm gonna be very quiet very good I spoke to you earlier and even gave you a rough outline of how I intend to proceed on your show. Yes. And the rationale that I use. So I explained that as an educator among our people, what I see as our greatest weakness is the loss of culture. And after decade following another decade, following another decade, I find myself in the same position of trying to make our people understand 
what culture is. And it's very difficult, it appears, for people to get past the aesthetic aspect of culture. How we sing, the music, the dancing, the entertainment, the artwork, the colors, and all that. Fundamentally, that's not considered the culture. All these things are representatives or expressions of culture. Culture is basically only three abstract concepts. That's what makes culture, attitudes, beliefs, and behavior. Those three things make up culture. So culture is in the head. And this is why our enemies have spent so much time getting into our heads and into our hearts. And they are still there. So let me get into this. I'm going to start with a term that many people have heard about, many have not. So I'm starting with worldview. And it means just what it is. How does an individual, a group, a nation of people, how do you view the world? Worldview. This is what it is. Worldview is a person's overarching mindset in the head, a person's set of integrated beliefs in the head about the fundamental aspects of reality, life, earth, and universe. That's what worldview is. And the way you see it impacts directly on how you behave. So worldview is the grounding, the basis, the foundation that influences all human perceiving, thinking, knowing, and behavior. So, beloved, Worldview makes up a person's principles for behavior, principles for life philosophy, principles for an understanding of these things, including death, including your formula for life, including your outlook on life. 
the world knows African people as being the most positive spiritual people on the face of the earth. And for good reason. So worldview includes culture. It includes ideology. It includes spirituality and religion and religious faith. That or those things make up worldview. And it is all where? In the mind and in the heart. Can I see uh, the first illustration? Sure. Good. So I'm going deeper into culture. And let me reiterate, I'm doing this to start at the ground level so that you can have the basic fundamental understanding of what culture is. One of the first things you learn in anthropology is that culture is a survival strategy. If you lose your mother culture, you cannot survive. You cannot. Because everything about you is at risk. So you've allowed, I shouldn't say you, we have allowed someone to put a lot of stuff in us that is alien. And they very cleverly did it with their alien religions, their alien worldviews, a lot of things. So we've got to come back to ourselves. That's why I'm laying the groundwork. So I'm asking our listening and watching audience to be patient with me because I'm laying this foundation. And upon this foundation, as lectures go on and we start talking about some sexier stuff, you know, some esoteric stuff, then you will understand exactly what I'm coming from. And we will be able to go back and forth, back and forth, up and down, sideways down and up, comparing, contrasting, thinking deeply about ourselves, thinking more deeply about what we are doing. Wow, thinking more deeply about who we are as God's original creation, the one and only. I know a lot of people are going to be angry with me. Well, they've been angry for decades, so <laughs> nothing's going to change. But things that I lectured my students and my friends and my communities about 30 years ago, and they said, oh, doc, 
that's that's racist. That doesn't sound good. And this, that, that. 15, 20 years later, some pink boy, a you know, a reporter with maybe a BA degree and fuzz, you know, between his ears. He just reports on it. Then all of a sudden they can remember it. And see, this is the disrespect that our people have. For those of us who dedicate our lives to the upliftment and the enlightenment of our people, and we don't feel good about it. Let me go on. So now I'm getting into culture. What is it? Fundamentally, and I'm writing some of these things now, I do that so that I don't go off. I like to stay on point. I might take a smaller side and I get right back to it. But this way, this way, I have taken the time to write it down succinctly so that I don't leave anything up. So culture, what is it? Fundamentally and theoretically, Culture is composed of abstract elements. What are those elements? They are the shared customary attitudes, beliefs, values, goals, and worldview. Of whom? Of a racial, ethnic, religious or social group. This is it across the board for everyone. This is what culture is. It's the collection of ideas and beliefs and values and customs and norms. Oh, that's an important word, norms. What have we taken on as normal behavior. How much craziness, how much foolishness, how much nastiness, how much brutality or brutishness have we taken on and adjusted to as being the norm? So it's just an everyday thing. So norms, that's an important, very important word. So it is a collection of ideas, beliefs, values, customs, norms, and behaviors of a racial, religious, or social group that is created over a long period of time. And all of these things are represented in commonly shared values. Another very important word. Norms 
and social practices. These values, norms, and social practices give us a sense of identity, such as history, economic and social structures, public infrastructures, institutions, corporations, organizations, groups, languages, aesthetics, customs, codes, symbols, material traits such as tools. Did you ever think about tools being a reflection of culture? Yeah, everything is an expression of someone's culture. Let me go on. Art, buildings, that's another one. Why do some cultures, non-African cultures, especially those from the far north, why do they build square structures? But traditional Africans like to build round ones. That's a three-hour lecture right there. All because of culture and worldview. So art buildings, written records, and any other objects that are produced or used by human beings. Let's move on to what culture does. Culture shapes and governs the everyday behavior, existence, and way of life of human beings. All those things. Culture shapes and governs everything we do at any given place or time. What else is there about culture? Well, culture comprises, is made up of a learned, a learned integrated body and pattern of shared worldview, knowledge, beliefs, values, aesthetics, behaviors, traditions. All of those things are learned and they are transmitted from one generation to the next generation, to the next generation. What else is there about culture? Now we can get into some of the aesthetic aspects of culture. Culture influences fine arts, humanities, 
and aspects of science. Okay, that makes me think about something. In college and at the universities, there are whole divisions, not departments. Divisions that are categorized as the humanities. And within that division, you have subjects like history, art, music, communication, and there are some others. They are in the division, academically in the division of the humanities. Why? Because these are the things that make us human. See, you never imagined that culture incorporates all these things. Culture is so fundamental that when you start messing with it, you are messing with someone's ability to survive. Culture even influences science. I believe it was in the 15th century when old Chris Columbus was looking for a grant to find the new world. And this was at a time when Europeans believed that the earth was flat. It's amazing to me to see these so-called smart people getting on social media and everything talking about the earth is flat, these flat earthers. And they have had the nerve to even say that there, you know, we can, we, you, there are no pictures of a round earth. Yes, there are <laughs> tens of thousands of them. If you have a telescope, You can see the other planets, nothing is flat. The universe has never produced anything that is flat. Everything is round. Everything is circular. Everything is cyclical. There's nothing flat. And they say there are no pictures. Okay. <laughs> Show us some pictures of the edge <laughs> of this flat earth. <laughs> Show us where some ships have gone down off the edge. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, Culture also influences fine arts, 
humanities, even science. I've forgotten the name of the, someone will remind me, the name of the scientist that they want, Copernicus, I, I believe it was Copernicus, who tried to tell them, no, the earth is round. <laughs> And the rest of the planets, including the sun, they don't rotate around the earth just because Jesus was born on the earth. On the earth. <laughs> they arrested his behind and they were going to make barbecue of him. <laughs> so he had to recant everything. So yes, culture also impacts science and there is so much buffoonery and craziness and rascality as we say in Africa so much even rascality around these scientific discussions of the universe because they don't know what it is. I don't care how far back in African tradition and knowledge you go. Our people have never believed that the earth was flat. Have never believed that the sun and the moon and all these other planets rotate around the earth. They knew that not to be so. If you study the Dogon people of Mali, for example, they had already physically mapped out the universe with all these stars and planets 5,000 years ago. 5,000 years before there was such a thing as a non-African. And the beautiful thing about it is this. <laughs> they charted it from the perspective of being above looking down on the cosmos with all their scientific equipment, these so-called smart, superior people never knew about the serious star system. Never knew about it. Not only serious, but also this accompanying star called Sirius B that is so dense you can hardly see it. How did they know? Oh, we're going to get into some deep, deep, deep S-H-I-T. <laughs> yeah. Let me go on. What else does culture do? Culture provides 
shared a shared taste in fine arts in the humanities and provides a, sh a shared taste in broad aspects of science. Well, I already got into just a little bit of the science. That was just a little bit, you know, like, hmm, <laughs> okay. Wow. You see why I make notes? Because if I stop on any of these points, I can talk for two or three hours just on that one. Okay, we're still talking about culture, attitudes, beliefs, and values. What is an attitude? We use the word, we've used it forever, but how many people really know what it is? Okay, I'm going to tell you. Attitudes or an attitude is a preconceived idea about people, places, things, situations, whether we have experienced those things or not. We can just hear about it. Someone can tell us uh, their, you know, opinions about China. I go way back, World War II, and I remember some of our soldiers coming home, laughing at the other people because, number one, uh, them folks, you know who I'm talking, yeah, yeah. Them folks had told the Asian women, they also told that stuff to European women. <laughs> they told them that the African soldiers, African men, had tails. So stay away from them. <laughs> Especially in Europe. The Asian women had a little more sense. <laughs> the European women, instead of staying away, <laughs> they were getting with the black men and, you know, African men. They want to see this tale, and then they were surprised to learn it wasn't back there. <laughs> I just have to say thank God for the mute button because I'm over here cracking up. <laughs> it was somewhere else. <laughs> and wherever it was, <laughs> well, we know where it was. They got hooked on it. <laughs> and they said, mm, tail is nice. <laughs> I see it here every day in West Africa, trust me. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So attitudes are these preconceived ideas.
thoughts about people, places, situations, and things. Attitudes create a mental state of readiness to respond personally in a personally characteristic way to these statements, these objects, these concepts, these situations. Oh, <laughs> black men have tails. <laughs> I'm in a mental state <laughs> of readiness. All right. I'm sorry. Well, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> That's real talk. Okay. Then they want to be mad at black women. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll never look at that word the same. Readiness. Every time I... Yes, a mental state of readiness to respond. <laughs> okay, I'm going on because now <laughs> my silly bone has come out. <laughs> Let's move on. Beliefs. Something is, oh, this one is important. A belief is something that's considered both real and true. But beliefs are not based on facts. They're not. Beliefs, let me repeat this. Beliefs are not based on facts. Beliefs are strong opinions that a person a place, a thing, a situation is actually real. Has anyone found heaven yet? <laughs> How about hell? Why am I getting so silly on your show? <laughs> because you can. Because listen, you're still dropping it good. We can have a good time and we can flow. So how relaxed you are. And I'm happy about that. Oh, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Beliefs. A belief is a strong opinion that a person, a thing, a place, a situation is real. What else is it? A belief is a, con a, a conviction of truth. That an un verified statement, an unverified statement, I'm like Omar Johnson now, repeated three times, <laughs> an unverified statement or phenomenon is based on truth or reality. Moving along. A belief is a state or a habit of mind that places trust 
in the factuality of some person, place, thing, or situation. So when we get into some of these religious discussions, let me tell you what is a black fact. If the spirituality with and the beliefs in your religion, I don't give a rat's behind what religion it is. If it doesn't match up with science, it ain't real. It's just your belief. But when you look at African spirituality, if you're looking for religion, it's there. If you're looking for chemistry, it's there. If you're looking for genetics, it's there. If you're looking for biology, it's there. If you're looking for numerology, it's there. If you're looking for astronomy, it's there. And you can go on and on and on. So I don't know what or whether some of these other religions have all that because I don't study them. Well, I've studied them a little. And every now and then in terms of comparing and contrasting, I come across something so I can compare and contrast, right? But I don't have time to waste my time doing that other thing. All my concentration goes into my people and African knowledge and African history and African culture and African philosophy. All right, let me go on. So a belief is an unverified acceptance of something being real, but it's not verified. Moving right along. Let's go to values. We've covered attitudes, beliefs now. We're going to the big deal, values. Values are the heavy hitters. Values are the core principles and highest ideals upon which an entire racial, ethnic, or social group depends. Depends. In order for it to survive and exist, values are <clears throat> the core principles and highest ideals upon which an entire racial, ethnic, or social group depends in order for it to survive and exist. Values are the core principles and the highest ideals upon which an entire 
racial, ethnic, and or social group depends in order for it to survive and exist. Values are used for making everyday decisions and judgments. Now we hear all the time, people are saying, you know, I don't judge. Of course you judge. You just don't understand what a judgment is. If you didn't judge, you couldn't make decisions. Values are the most powerful elements for creating long-term changes in human behavior. Values are the most powerful elements for creating long-term changes in human behavior. Values are the most powerful elements for creating long-term changes in human behavior. So why is it that Black, so-called Black behavior, racially speaking, why is it that African behavior, racially speaking, has not changed? I don't care how much teaching, preaching, lecturing, talking. We have not changed until a few days ago. <laughs> The revolution is on, y'all. <laughs> remember the last poets? Lance, do you remember the last poets? <clears throat> yes, I met them. I met them. Uh, really? Yeah, do I met them. you remember their poem? That poem became famous. The revolution yes, will yes. not be televised. But it's yes, being televised. That <laughs> <laughs> was ahead of his time. It was. But I understand exactly what they meant because the revolution begins here. And the revolution begins above. No one can stop this revolution. As above, so below. That's why nothing can change it. And it's sweeping across the continent. And I'm sorry for using this, <laughs> what I'm going to say. Sorry, men, but <laughs> it's the males among them other folks. <laughs> All their stuff, you know, <laughs> has shrunk up inside their stomachs. <laughs> Because all they can see is these bold, young, good-looking, strong, powerful Black African men standing up like men. And all their junk <laughs> has shrunk up into their trunks. <laughs> I have waited.
waited some 40 years, maybe more. <laughs> yeah, I've waited about 50 years to see this day. And it was in January that I knew it was coming. I cut a video talking about it. I felt this spiritual shift. And it was so powerful that I made a short video of it. It's on YouTube. That was in January. And what's happening now reminded me of that. I have a YouTube, <clears throat> not YouTube, an email, an email blast that goes to almost 100 people. And I sent it to them. I sent the video out on Facebook. I predicted that this year, 2023, I predicted that 2023 will go down in history as the year of the great African reunification and reawakening. I predicted it in January. And here we are. And it's spreading like wildfire. And I can understand in a different context what the last poets were talking about. You can televise it physically, but the real change starts above first. And then it hits our brains. As above, so below. Nothing can stop it. So today, the collaborators, the traitors, the coons and the mammies and whatever, they are afraid. In fact, this evening I will be releasing or uploading to YouTube a video that I prepared two weeks ago. And just for some reason, I didn't want to release it. But it is time. I'm sending a message out, a warning. Because if you are a traitor, a collaborator with the enemy, a coon and a bully. If you have been working at cross purposes for your people all this time, just for your own selfish interests, so you can get yours, whether or not anybody else. In fact, you prevent your own people from just having a life. You should be shaking in your boots because if you're a traitor, a collaborator, or any of those other things, 
you are in the crossfire. You know, the crossfire. Say bullets are coming both ways and you're in the middle. Your people are firing at your enemy. And your enemy is firing at your people. And you're standing your sorry behind in the middle. But there's another reason why you should be not only afraid, but very afraid. Because you know the nature of the enemy more than anybody else. Those of you who know secrets, those of you who have been paid in advance to get certain things done and you're not able to get them done, watch out for the knife in the back. Watch out for that stray, but not so stray, bullet. Be on alert. Your days might be numbered. Being a traitor and a collaborator, there is a hell of a price to pay, especially at the hands of these young people who are not going to play with your sorry behind. Okay, moving on. Where am I? Lance, can I have figure illustration two? Figure two? Yes, right here. So I'm going to show you these decision-making values decision-making values. So if you think you don't judge, if you didn't judge, you wouldn't be a human being. Anytime you talk about something be, being good or bad, you're judging. Those are values. Good, bad, right, wrong. The law of opposites, right? The law of duality, good and bad, right and wrong. What is better or what is worse with these decisions that I have to make? What is godly? What is evil? What is moral? What is immoral? What is ethical or unethical? What is decent and what is indecent. All of these are judgment calls. But we've been told, no, you shouldn't judge. I know where that comes from. That comes from that wicked enemy who doesn't want us to judge them for who they are and for what they've done. But don't worry, Mama Karma, <laughs> she's on the job. Thank you, Mama. 
What is righteous or unrighteous? What is sacred? What is profane? What is justifiable or unjustifiable? We'll talk about values again when we really get into what we are doing on an everyday 24-7 basis. What values are driving us? What do we value? Especially when we start looking at ourselves within the context of white supremacist culture. Let's move on. Where am I? Oh, yes. Figure three. Yes. This is an illustration that I created just to show the effect that values have on our psyches and our behavior. You see attitudes. Okay. And attitudes can be very strong. We can have strong opinions about things that are not verified. Like black men have tails. These can be some strong beliefs. Okay. But you also see that in our psyches, they are shallow. They occupy a shallow depth of our psyches. But then, <clears throat> as we get into beliefs, beliefs are stronger than attitudes. We can be taught things from birth that may not be true, may not be factual. How about this belief that them folks have <laughs> about their <laughs> superiority? It's, it's a laughing matter. If you knew what I know, <laughs> you would be giggling like a schoolgirl too because it's so ridiculous. Beliefs are stronger. They occupy a deeper level of our psyche. So it has, they have a greater depth. And they have a stronger influence on our behavior. Think of religious beliefs. How about changing water into wine? <laughs> Let's get the party started. <laughs> okay. Let's go on to values so I can stop being silly. Oh, no, you're not being silly. <laughs> values are absolutely the strongest driving force 
that governs and shapes, or shapes and governs, human behavior, values. Values hold the, they are situated in what I'm saying is the deepest, the greatest depth of a human being. What are your values? And in a few minutes during this lecture, we're going to get into the cultural features of traditional Africa and tradition, traditional Caucasian culture. I'm going to break it down. And we'll start discussing our values and why it is that we cannot change. Well, I'll tell you in a very short sentence. Because we believe in white supremacy. We believe in it. We believe that we are inferior. That's the driving force in our behavior. That's what shapes our view of ourselves. That's what shapes what we teach our babies from the time they come out of the womb. So that by the time they finish high school, they've got so much rubbish, white supremacist rubbish, white supremacist values. We think the same as they do. But if you knew what I know, the last thing that you would want to do was to mate up with and start having offspring by them folks. And I'm calling them folks to be kind. Okay, I'm going to put this statement out. And you will just have to wait until I work through <laughs> my strategy of presentation. I'm going to see it right up front. African people are scientifically proven to be the only human beings on earth. Whoops! There it is. African people are scientifically categorized and proven to be the only true human beings on earth. Ouch! African people are scientifically categorized and proven 
to be the only human beings on earth. Things that make you go, hmm. So I'm going to let you guys chew on that one until I get to it. <laughs> Do some homework. Where am I on my notes? Okay. Moving right along. Let's now look at cultural, historical, and behavioral traditions. What is the difference between culture and traditions? Okay, traditions point mostly to behavior. Traditions serve as behavioral and creative survival strategies that are made up of ideas, beliefs, and values. See, we have to keep coming back to those three aspects of culture. Ideas, beliefs, and values that were applied to lived experiences of ancestors. That's what traditions are. What are we saying? In my lectures, I start with you. Uh, 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 well, I started around 300,000 BC. Now, I know, I know it messes a lot of people up because you know all three of the abrahamic religions say the world started six thousand years ago look africans have dirty jaws older than that so i started 300,000 bc and when you look at traditional african culture and knowledge and philosophy and spirituality today you are looking at knowledge that has been passed along generation after generation after generation after generation. Somebody has a calculator. Add it up. <laughs> Do some multiplication. How many generations is that? From 300,000 B.C until now. And we look at them folks who were not even on the planet as human beings 45,000 years old. 45,000. And in a barbaric state then. And we have tried for at least 10,000 years, we Africans have tried humanizing and civilizing them for at least 10,000 years. We Africans have tried humanizing and civilizing them for some 10,000 
years. We Africans have tried humanizing and civilizing them for more than 10,000 years. Teaching them to walk upright on two legs. I'm going to take this aside. Walking upright. Why is it that even when we have skinny black folks, African folks, we have well-developed derrieres, booties, if you will. <laughs> Remember Sammy Davis Jr. with his little twiggy butt? But it wasn't the butt. He still had butt. Why do we have these well-developed buttocks? See, y'all need to study. It's because we have been walking upright on two legs for more than 300,000 years and they haven't you know them folks have not that's why they could bend over and you could press your clothes on their backsides <laughs> they don't have that strong muscular development it is the muscles in the buttocks that allow human beings to stand upright. Study some, Google it. Ask your doctor. Ask anyone who has taken anatomy. Any nurse and them. It's elementary. So this is why we have nicely shaped booties and they don't. It is a fact. There have been people who have studied this. It is a fact that African people stand straighter than anyone else on this earth. So what am I talking about? It is proven. Okay, that's an easy one. Look up Homo sapien. Homo meaning human, sapien meaning thinking. So a human, a Homo sapien is a thinking human being. That ain't us. Nope. Africans are the only ones scientifically classified as Homo 
sapient, sapient. They had to double the sapient. What does it mean? It means the doubly wise human beings. The ones who created civilization before these other folks that are calling themselves whatever these superior beings before they were even on the earth that could be considered homo sapien no homo sapien sapien for them that's us now i'm sorry to bust open that chicken egg that so many of us walking around talking foolish and I ain't no African. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> Which category y'all in? I'm black, so are my shoes. There are a lot of black folk. That doesn't tell us anything. So you have no history. You're like a seed. The slightest puff of wind can blow you anywhere it wants. There's an African proverb that says, if you don't know who you are and where you are going, any road and any fool can take you there. So keep going the way you're going, player. You're like this guy I knew once, looking like Marcus Garvey. He was that type. And every time we had a meeting, he brought his stupid behind into the meeting. We can't take care of business. He's got to talk about his Irish ancestors. His Irish ancestors, you know, I'm part Irish. And my being <laughs> the newest one in the group and being who I am, I just decided to talk with him on the side. So I asked him, what was your grandmama's name? You know, your Irish grandmama. He couldn't answer. I didn't think he could get much blacker, but he did. I didn't, I was relentless. I meant to save his life that day. I'm sure I did because he was on his way to insanity. I asked him, how many of these Irish pubs do you go and frequent? He's, he can't talk. He's mute. You don't know your grandmama's name yet. Yeah. Do they invite you to the family reunion? Man, he was done with me. Have you visited Ireland to go and see your ancestors? 
I'm certain I saved his life. We never again heard any talk about his Irish ancestors. What kind of pathology must you suffer to look at yourself in a mirror, especially a Marcus Garvey type? A powerful guy. Tell me about he's Irish. What spot on your behind is possibly Irish? And why, and if it's there, you you need to be covering it up with some makeup or something because there is nothing greater on this earth than an enlightened African person with an African consciousness, with the ability to tap into the cosmos, to communicate with the higher forces and to be guided by them for a lifetime. What can possibly be greater than that? Okay, I digress. Where was I? I've got to start over now. Traditions. Traditions are transmitted, transmitted to each new generation to ensure survival, advancement, and autonomy of the family, the clan, the ethnic group, or the race. I'm glad I plugged that in. How many countries on the continent since 1960 have claimed that they have independence, but they don't. And it has taken three generations, almost, for their children and grandchildren to suddenly wake up. See, the spell has worn off. Yes, I said the spell. We've been under a spell. That's another conversation. Another four-hour discussion for another day. <laughs> Wow. They have passed it on. We have swallowed it up. Traditions are the ideas, the attitudes, the beliefs, and the values that are passed down by ancient ancestors orally and later in writing, in some instances, with or without written memorials, generation after generation after generation. So it's the ancestors in every group, every nationality, 
every so-called race, they pass down knowledge, wisdom, and experiences that support and ensure the future generations survive and continue. Why are African people, why are black people not surviving? Now I have to kind of bite my tongue when I say that. I'll tell you why in a second. But not surviving, not doing well. Stuff is just arbitrarily taking us out because we have lost our culture. What we are calling culture is not culture. What we are calling culture is really a response to racial oppression. When you get to the core of it. And we're getting, I hope you realize, we're getting deeper and deeper into our understanding of what culture is and how precious it is and how dangerous it can be. Where am I? Figure four, Lance? Yes. Let's look at the cultural basis of behavior. Now, out of all these figures and illustrations, this one is not mine. And you see the name of the creator of this one. I saw it when I was doing some research. I liked it, so I use it and give this gentleman credit. The cultural basis of behavior. So when you look at this diagram, you see on the left side, and this is a VIN, it's called a VIN, the E-N-N diagram. Whenever you hear of a VIN diagram, or whenever you see these overlapping circles like this, that's what it's called. So there are things being shared wherever there is an overlap. Okay. So on one side, you have the circle that represents the society. And on the other side, you have a circle that represents individuals. Okay. And in the middle, you see the values, these driving forces. The values and behaviors that are considered norms in the middle. That's the overlap, right in the middle. So when you look at the left circle, dealing or representing 
a society. You see their perspectives and their worldviews. When we talk about perspective, that's another way of referring to a person's worldview. So you see, perspectives and worldviews. And underneath social practices. And the arrows point up and down, showing that one influences the other and they go back and forth. Perspectives and worldviews turn into social practices. And the more they practice, a society practices these things, holds these perspectives, I just said the wrong thing. <laughs> the more they practice these things, the stronger these pers perspectives and worldviews become. And then they are translated or sent right back down into the society where they become either weaker, they can become weaker if the society changes. Here is a good example. Climate change. What perspective, what worldview has led to the catastrophes that we are having now? And these catastrophes have created changes in social practices that made the perspectives and worldviews weaker dealing with climate change. Now, before the catastrophes, scientists were warning the Western world, stop this, stop that, stop the other. You are destroying the planet. And what did people say in the Western cultures? We're, look, we're making this money. We ain't stopping. What do you mean stop? What is it on the dollar bill? In God, <laughs> we trust that that's mm, that dollar bill, that money. Yeah, well, if it's going to mess with the climate and everything, uh, we'll eventually get to it. But now that nature is fighting back, what are they saying now? Now you see them on television, crying. Wait a minute now, <laughs> wasn't it worth it? You didn't mind when the money was rolling, but now that the money is flying away from you, it's flying away in these supernatos. It's floating away 
in the floods. All your stuff is gone. And some of you have rebuilt. That's how stupid you how stupid can you be? You own beachfront property or something like that. And the ocean comes and wipes all your crap away. But you figure, eh, it's not going to happen again. Let's rebuild. So you rebuild. And the ocean comes and takes it away again. Are you going to rebuild this time? Who knows? But that's an example of values. A high ideal that is a governing power, a governing force over your psyche, huh? your behavior, your worldview is how much can I get? How much can I accumulate? In Africa, people say they have eyes. They have eyes that cannot be filled. Because everything they see, they want, they must have. If it belongs to someone else, no problem. We will go in and take it. That's the story of their lives. That's the story of their existence on this earth. So now all this stuff is being destroyed. And along with their stuff, their lives. Wow. Let me get back to the diagram. So that's how perspectives and worldviews sort of in, are interrelated with social practices because one influences the other. And from the other, it in, goes back up again. So there is this interplay back and forth. So that the perspectives and the worldviews will either strengthen or weaken. Okay, so this yellow arrow going from left to right, these perspectives and social practices feed into values and norms. So what value do they place now? Some 50 years later, after destroying the planet. Have they changed? Oh, yes. Somewhat. But you see, money is still the highest value in Western culture. That is the norm. 
the arrow going from values and norms starts feeding to these elements on the right. The one on the left represents culture. The circle on the right represents behavior. And you see this arrow in the middle saying that all these things are shared throughout the society. So when it comes to the individual person, it is the overall society that sets the rules, that sets the norms, that sets or establishes the mores, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. So individuals, individual behavior has to adapt and adopt these values and norms. So your beliefs, your attitudes, your actions, they all have to be acceptable within this framework of the values and norms of the greater society, of the greater community. They're not isolated. Culture, behavior. Now underneath you see a double arrow. It's not double, it points two ways. The socialization process goes back and forth. What is that? Primary socialization begins from the cradle. From the time you leave your mama's womb, you start being socialized. You're listening to the language. You're listening to what people say. You're watching their behaviors. We talk about children becoming very troublesome. I should say bothersome. By the time they reach two years old, you know, the terrible twos. Why is it these kids get to be two years old and then it's one question after the other. You answer this question and they then ask why. Mommy, why is so-and-so-and-so? Oh, <coughs> this is why. This, that, and the other. Okay. Well, why is this, that, and the other? Oh, because so-and-so and, you know, the other thing and the third. Hmm. Why is this, that, and the other, and the, the third and whatnot? It's just why, 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 why? Why do kids go through this at two years old? It's because 
they have been watching us <laughs> for two years, but they didn't have the command of language to start asking questions. All this stuff has been gathering in their heads for two years. It takes them a good year and a half to get past the terrible twos because they need answers to why mommy and daddy, and siblings and uncles and aunties, and why y'all doing all this stuff? What does this mean? What does that mean? What does that other thing mean? Why does this go up instead of that? They've been wondering. Their little brains have been working for two years and they demand answers. Those are the terrible twos. So primary socialization, that's what it is. It's the teachings of the culture, the language, the behavior that a child gets from the moment of birth until it goes to school. The first socialization is with the immediate family, mom and dad. Secondary socialization comes into play once that kid goes to school. Because now that child has to understand that the same things that he or she had to conform to at home. This whole set of expectations and do's and don'ts go beyond home. No, you cannot go and just pull girls hair. You can't do it. You can't just walk up to another boy and slap him in the face or stomp his toe. You can't do it. It's not polite. And it could lead to trouble. So that is secondary socialization. When that child gets to know that the same way it he or she performed at home, the same set of values, norms, mores, you cannot talk this way, you have to talk that way. When it comes to the outer world, the same thing applies. So you have to conform. That's secondary socialization. And the last arrow underneath is the internalization process, internalization process. What are they referring to? You had to obey rules at home. You had certain procedures at home. You had certain expectations and taboos that were taught to you at home. You were under the control of someone at home. 
But the older we get, especially after leaving home, going into outer society, now we have to conform to the same things we had to conform with at home. But the older we get, the more these things are internalized in our psyches, shaping our behavior, controlling our behavior, what we can do, what we can say. They become internalized. So the older we get, the more we are expected to have self-control. And if we come from a spiritual family, we are also told about a controlling spirit of God. Controlling. So you internalize these things. That's what we do. So that now growing up means that we have self-control. Okay? I hope everyone understands because I want to go on. Can I see figure five? Yes, right here. <laughs> How are we doing? <laughs> oh, we're doing excellent. Are you, I'm just, I'm are you going yet? And um, just keep the flow going. You know, this okay. is like a so figure five looks at features of culture. Now we're going to start getting into some juicy stuff. Because so many people don't want to be Afrain or Africa. Okay, that's your business. <laughs> we're going to look at some cultural features. So I'm breaking it down. And when we open up the chat on this, I know we're going to have some very lively discussions. All right. On the left, we have African cultural features. And on the right, we have Caucasian cultural features. You know, dim folks that so many of us love to death, literally. So this is coming straight out of traditional African culture before we got messed up. African people have a spiritual reality. A spiritual reality. Did I already, hold on for a minute. Yes. Okay. I know what to do. After we look at these cultural features, we're going to go back again 
to figure one. After five, we're going to repeat figure one. So the, here's the lineup. There is only one culture in the world with a material culture. That's Caucasian culture. The African spiritual reality or reality period is spiritual. What do you mean, Doc, when you say a spiritual reality? It means that every culture on earth except one believes that spirit is real. Every culture on earth except one believes that spirit is real. Every culture on earth except one believes that spirit is real. So African people have a spiritual reality. In fact, we invented it the, as a concept. African culture is holistic. <clears throat> what does that mean? We look like to we like to look culturally. We look like to look at the whole thing to see how it operates. The whole thing, looking at how everything works together and everything is cooperating and adding to the movement and the meaning of everything else. That's the way black folks traditionally look at things. Well, that hasn't changed. It's holistic. It is also cooperative. Anyway, I've gone into some of the definitions. It's cooperative. It is communalistic. What does that mean? It means that the group, the family, the clan, the tribe, the nation, whatever, the group, their interests are more important than the interests of the individual. This is why we have this saying, I am because you are. I am a part of you. If you didn't exist, as my people, I would not exist as an individual. If you were not there as my group, I could never survive as an individual. If you were not there 
as my people. Or let's say my parents. I would not exist as your child. So it is communalistic. It is very difficult for us to see ourselves as just one isolated person and to see ourselves as one isolated person who is more important than the group. Okay, let's go on. Now, mind you, that's not communism. I don't know why we need to go around looking for somebody else's system. Somebody make it make, make it make sense. We had our own social system for hundreds of thousands of years until these other non-Africans came on the scene and we taught them. And the reason we have so many cultural and spiritual similarities is because we taught them. They are our children. We walk this earth for hundreds of thousands of years before there was anyone else on this earth. Okay, calm down, calm down. How about our time orientation? We have a past, present, future time orientation. What are you talking about, Doc? I said earlier that it is very African to see things in circles because everything in the universe is either circular, cyclical. What was the other one? There was another one. <laughs> I've forgotten which one I uh, referred to. When we talk about humanity, philosophically, humanity includes the ancestors, the living, and the unborn, all three. And we're all connected. We will get into reincarnation later. In Africa, we call it continuation. Things keep cycling around. We're born from the unborn into the living. From the, un from the living, we transition into spirit again as an ancestor. And we come right back again to be reborn. 
we call it continuation. It circles around, but really it's more a cycle rather than a circle. It continues, doesn't repeat, it continues on another level, a higher level, hopefully. So that's the past, present, future, time orientation. Now let's look at the Caucasian. Instead of a spiritual reality, they have a material reality. They don't believe in spirit. If something cannot be experienced by the five senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing, if it can't be experienced with the five senses, if it cannot be taken into a laboratory and sent through five tests, and each test comes out with the same conclusion, it ain't real. That's not African reality. In African spiritual reality, there is nothing more real than spirit. It is because of spirit that the material is able to manifest as above, so below. I told you we're going to get into some deep doo-doo. <laughs> Rather than being holistic, seeing the whole of something that is being held together by some divine spirit, some glue. For those of you who are scientific, okay, then you would start, you would understand what I'm talking about because we get into dark matter and some other things. What is holding the universe together? What holds everything together from the vastness of the cosmos itself down to the tiniest, I almost said atom, but now they're, they're talking about quarks. <laughs> don't ask me what a quark is. I don't know that one yet. So we see things holistically through the spiritual lens of our psyches. They don't. We're holistic, they're compartmental. There is this saying, there is a place for everything and everything should be in its place. So they even give God a place. Amazing. They tell God, this is your place now. You sit your behind right here. 
and we will tell you who you are, where you come from, who your mama is, <laughs> what you can do and what you can't do. So they build cathedrals. They build temples. They build mosques. These little four-cornered houses. And they say, this is where God resides. And we go in and we listen to their hamana hamana and their hamana. <laughs> but a traditional African will tell you that little place, all of them put together are not large enough to contain God. Who can contain God? Who can boast of containing God? See how silly some of this stuff sounds? All right. African culture is cooperative, believes in sharing, believes in peace, Caucasian culture is competitive. They've got to do outdo each other. They've got to the, that's them, not us. Not us before. We allowed them to come and mess mess us up. We have a past, present, future time orientation. They have a linear future time orientation. And the emphasis is always on the youth, the new. Something new comes out, they throw away what they had last year. Oh, we got to jump on this new thing. The Wizard of Oz, right? I have a new respect for that movie. It taught us so many things. Remember how she was in Oz, right? And every time the wizard decided red was passing, the new thing is green and bingo, everything was green. And they would start moving to the green. That's this society. There's an emphasis on the new and on youth. The big difference culturally is shown in African sculpture. You will not find a sculpture of a young person. You will never find it. You probably never noticed it. Why not? Because young people don't have knowledge. They have urges. 
a lot of urges. They think <laughs> they know everything. <laughs> you know, everything. <laughs> they know very little. African philosophy has this belief. Well, that's not a belief. That's more a knowledge because it's verified. It is verified that the young have to experience life. They must have their ups and downs. They have to experience loss and sorrow and regret and pain like everyone else. And going through those experiences teaches us to know about life, teaches us the power of faith, teaches us so many things that young people don't know. And in African culture, this is the knowledge that develops human character, that makes us shine as human beings. People who sacrifice based on integrity. People who go through things, who would rather choose to go through a certain hardship rather than lose their human integrity, their moral integrity that will reduce them as a human, a spiritual human being. That is when you start talking about the beauty of a human being. Your character development. You will find on the continent and a lot of this is getting lost, the more Western African culture becomes, the more messed up it becomes, the more what, you know, this foolishness that doesn't amount to anything. And it destroys human character because it is based on material things rather than spiritual things. Now, this is not saying that money, it's not saying money isn't important. It is. But what's more important is what will you do to get it? See, that's the question. I'm going to get mine, child, because I ain't giving up that. I ain't giving up that cheese. 
how many times do we say that? And when we look at ourselves today, hasn't that become the norm? So something that is degrading, something that destroys and undermines human character and integrity, those things that allow us to grow closer to God, because God is all mind. It's not saying that having nice things around us is not important. It's not saying that at all. But to consider those things, to weigh them in the balance of ma'at, right? What will you do for money? And if you do this small thing for money, what bigger thing? will it lead to until bam here you are down here so in African culture your beauty is determined by your character traditionally a woman a woman's features can be as plain as a pot. But see, the wonderful thing about sisters is African women know how to adorn themselves. They know how to dress. They know how to walk. And when they are clothed, with integrity. When someone inquires about them, when people hear about her character, her intellect, her skills, her knowledge, she walks in all that shining. She knows who she is and she knows what she's got. So she will never be in a position where she has to look for a suitors, a suitor. Suitors are coming from everywhere because they know the mother is the first teacher of the child. And what she has, her character development is such that he wants her to be the mother of his children. So that they will reflect the teaching of their first teacher. And they will even you can get on YouTube and hear them talking about their African mothers. My mother was my first God. Yeah, they know about God. 
They're taught about God. But you see, there are different levels. And we, Africans, are created from the first instance, created as what? God's on earth. Now, if you can't handle that, if you have a problem with that statement, sorry for you. Go ahead on with whatever you're doing. Let the rest of us come to the realization of who we are on this earth and what we can do. And we are not looking for some white boy to come in a cloud from the sky to rescue us. If I see such a thing, I'm going to shoot it. Okay. All right. Lance, are you there? <laughs> Alive and well and very much alert. <laughs> Can we go on, go back to figure one? Yes. Just to highlight what I just discussed. So I created these two illustrations to sort of, you know, give us a picture of a spiritual worldview and belief system from Africa and one from Europe, the African, the Caucasian. So when I say that Africans have a spiritual reality, I also mentioned, excuse me, I mentioned the fact that every culture in the world except one has a spiritual belief system. This is what it looks like. You see the spirit of God in the center. And I drew it this way so that you can see yourself. You can see this diagram inside yourself with the spirit of God being inside. And that spirit of God is not only inside, it's outside as well, as above, so below. As above, so below, male and female. So below as above. Okay. So you see the spirit of God radiating from within and touching everything else. <coughs> Excuse me.
So you see all these little terms or situations. You see child rearing, religion. My eyes are bad even with my glasses on. Poetry, family, education, everything in a society is affected by spirit. So the emphasis is on a spiritual world reality. Spirit is considered the highest reality and God's essence is considered present in everything in the universe. Everything. This is what makes African culture one that is cooperative. It leads to and it supports survival of our people. It is holistic. All elements of our reality, what we consider reality, spiritual and material, emotional, psychological, whatever, all of it is holistic. We are considered as one. For those folks who talk about our evolving into other dimensions spiritually, right? We live in the third in a third dimensional reality. Okay. And what is that? Length, width, depth, whatever. Three dimensions. The fourth dimension means you factor in time. The fifth dimension is already here. What does it mean to be in the fifth dimension? To some people, especially to people in Western culture, it sounds spooky. To us, it's real. Spirit is real talking about divine spirit above. Spirit is real. So are the spirits of our ancestors. They're not dead. They're still with us. Some are still with us in spirit form. Some are actually returned ancestors who have returned to finish up 
something that they left off from before transitioning. And they are back to work again and to develop themselves on a higher spiritual level. You see, when we transition out of this world, this physical world, it's not a death. You can never die. As black folks, we keep cycling back to make things better than they were before. Here's some age-old wisdom for you that some elders still have this skill to look at a newborn baby. I'm certain you have heard us do this or seen us do this. We can look at a baby and say, wow, this one is an old soul. And we know what we are talking about. That is, that is proof of returned ancestors. If you are lucky enough to live in Africa, you will see something that is very phenomenal happen. As I did. There was this little girl who was hit by a car and died. And of course, the family was very upset and all of that. Okay. This other family, miles away, in another village, gave birth to a little girl. And the little girl was always troubling the family because she didn't, she didn't recognize her birth family as being her real family. She was always telling them, I want to go home. I want my money. I want my daddy. The older she became, the worse this thing became. She reached the age of eight. And by then, it was just a disturbance. But people suspected what was going on. They couldn't contain this child any longer. I want to go home. I want my mommy. I want my daddy. She got to the point where she told them the name of her village. And the elders, the elders of the village 
had to take up that case now. Of course, they had suspected it all along, but they had to wait for more information. They suspected that she had returned from some other time. Anyway, they made inquiries. Is there such a place? Yes. Really? So everybody bundled up into the car and went to find this place. When they got to the outskirts, the little girl, eight years old, became so excited. She knew where she was. Now, in her lifetime, she had never been to this place. Her parents didn't even know about this place. She did. When she got there, it was one of those villages that didn't have a clear road and they had to drive around some trees and everything. And she was guiding them right to this particular house. And when the mother, the woman of that house opened the door, this little girl rushed her wrapped her arms around this woman. Mommy, I'm home. Mommy, mommy, I'm back, I'm home. Everybody was in tears. Everybody was just completely broken down. But you see, in Africa, this is commonplace. It's the norm. So some cultures call it one thing, some call it something else. We call it continuation because we never die. We cycle around. What happened with that little girl? What happened with those two families? No problem. They share her. And life goes on. Everybody is happy. What happened eventually is those two families became united together under the love of that one child. So, like I said, some call it reincarnation. Africans call it continuation. Now, what got me to that? <laughs> Let me look at this thing. Okay. So that's what a spiritual, our spiritual worldview does. Now, had that happened in Caucasian society, it would have been a different story. That child would have been institutionalized because 
They don't believe in spirit. What spirit? You can't see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, touch it. You they, uh, what? She has lost her mind. They don't believe in spirit. Well, Doc, you can't say that. They've got their religions and it, yes. They have religion. They don't have spirit. They don't believe in spirit. And that's why I laugh and look at them like this. When I see them on YouTube and whatever, teaching about spirituality, you've got a blocked pineal gland. What the hell do you know about spirit? You can't <laughs> access it. You don't get downloads. So what are you talking about? And if you really had spirit, you wouldn't be able to do the things that you do. So that now today that we are knowledgeable of what a real human being is by African terms, By African terms, a human being has human sensibilities that don't allow you, don't allow your self-control, your worldview, your perspective of what a human being is since that human being is endowed with divine spirit inside almighty god from above out in the cosmos would never do the things or allow a, allow a real human being to do the atrocities that these people have done. They have the blood of billions of people dripping from their hands. Billions. And you know what? They think it's fun. They enjoy it. They have mutilated us. They have cooked us alive and cut pieces off our dead bodies and eaten them. Eaten the pieces that they cut from our bodies. Yes, I said it. They killed us. They cooked us, burned us alive. And many of them ate us. Can we call them human beings? 
because in African terms, if you have no human sensibilities, no humaneness about you, when your highest value is material things, whether it belongs to you or not, if it doesn't belong to you, go in. Use your brutishness and just take it. Kill everybody around. Billions of people dead. Innocent people who never did anything to them. As a matter of fact, every time we try to humanize them, I shouldn't have said every time we tried. What I should start with is we have tried for thousands of years to humanize them and look at the thanks that we have received until this very day. Look at the thanks that we have for humanizing them, trying to. They can't be humanized. And since they cannot be humanized, they certainly cannot be civilized. Do they act like they are civilized? Do they act as if they are human? Is it human to thirst and to hunger for the death of your fellow human beings? Come on now. Let's be real. And when you come into this chant, you better come in straight. Oh, you want to be so, so, so what? So progressive, you know, you, you have to try and please everybody. I don't have to please anybody except God. In African terms, they are demons. If it walks like a demon, talks like a demon, acts like a demon, it's a demon. You don't want to say that. You don't want to hear that because you love these demons and they have demonized you, those of you who love them. Those of you who have taken on their values, you have become so insensitive to the suffering of your own people, so uncaring. so focused on your own little individual self-interest that they've made monsters of you as well and you sit in your nice houses and you wear your nice clothes and 
this, that, and the other. All that shit is finished. Because my art is a bee. The universe is coming for them. I should say the universe has come for them. And whoever is with them, think about the parable. For those of you who love to read the Bible, think about the parable of the wheat and the tares. The farmer sowed his or her field. And someone came and sprinkled weed seeds among the wheat. But the weeds almost looked like the wheat. And the person taking care of the field asked, well, shouldn't I? pull all these weeds up. And the master said, no, no, no. Because they look so much alike. You can't tell one from the other. We have to wait until they grow up and see what they really are. We have to give it time to let them show themselves so we won't mistake one from the other although they look alike. Give it time. And when the harvest time comes, we will then be able to separate them. So those of you the traitors, the collaborators, and coons, and mammies, and boules, and uncles, and uh, whatever. I hope you enjoyed yourself. On the money that you earned betraying us. Okay. I hope you enjoyed it. Because there is hell to pay now. You're in a very dangerous position. Well, I went off on this one. Let's go back to the illustration. Let's look at the Caucasian material worldview and belief system. Okay. It does not believe in spirit. So you see this little star off to the right, <laughs> knocking at the door, trying to get in. But you know, Caucasians are born with a blocked pineal gland. It's not completely blocked. If it were completely blocked, blood couldn't get through, right? So there's a tiny opening, but that's what connects us to divine spirit. Now, like I said, on my radio show, I talked for one whole month. That was about five or six hours, I think. 
just talking about the pineal gland, how it started, how it originated, and then what happened. How did it go from outside? Yeah, outside to inside and how it works. And people point to it. He, no, it is not here. Anyone who points to the third eye or whatnot as it being here, they are wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. It's back here in the midbrain. And it sits in between to other brain structures. Okay. It sits atop what we call the reptilian brain. Oh, we've got some talking to. <laughs> Will I live long enough to get into these subjects? It sits <laughs> right on top of the reptilian brain. And it goes from the reptilian brain. It's right in between the reptilian brain and all of a sudden I went blank. <laughs> and the next development of the brain, it'll come back to me. I'm old. <laughs> the limbic system, <laughs> the limbic system. <laughs> Let me drink some water. <laughs> no, you're not old. You're not it's old at all. In between the reptilian brain and the limbic system, right? And it's still developing. So is the human brain still developing within the same size skull, but it's just increasing those folds. They're getting tighter and tighter. And the pineal gland is what allows us to contact spirit. The pineal gland, its development from that reptilian stage of development into the human or the feeling, warm-blooded beings that came in after the destruction of the Jurassic age and all those, you know, that's what ushered in the warm blooded animals on the earth. And we are at the top of that ladder of these warm blooded animals that had feelings. Wow, when we get into the pineal gland, it's going to open up a whole nother thing. Let me drink some water. Okay, so they are compartmental. That's their worldview, right? Everything is separated. That's the way they see it. And I noticed it while I was in graduate school. That's when I really 
saw this compartmental aspect of the way Caucasians think. They don't look at the whole. They will take the whole thing and begin to dissect it and separate this from that, trying to figure out what makes this whole thing work because of this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece. That's the way they approach things. It's 180 degrees different from the way African people approach things. Now, mind you, we are talking about culture. Individuality. The individual is valued over the group in terms of interests. Okay. So it was Rene Descartes who some years ago had made this statement in terms of how do you prove existence? And Rene Descartes said, I've got the answer for you. I, almighty I, I exist. I am conscious of my own individual existence. Therefore, I am. It just depends on me. What do we say in Africa? I am because you are, we are. Without you, I don't exist. Without my people, even if I'm alive, Life has no meaning because it's just me. I am. You see the difference? The perspective, the worldview, the perspective is 180 degrees different. This is culture. And this is how the features of culture, the worldview, everything shapes and governs every thought, every action. Culture is not just aesthetic, singing and dancing and wearing bright colors and pouring libation and burning incense and music and rhythm, you know, we got that I am talking about culture from the rooter to the tutor. It is everything that we do from thought to behavior. So there is an exclusive emphasis 
on the material world. You know, stuff. Everything we see, we want. By the time we have it for a week, throw it away. New fashion. Look at what London and Paris do with clothing. What was in last year? Ah, that is passe, my dear. This is this year. And this year, skirts for ladies, the skirts, the skirt length goes from below the knee to mid-thigh. And we jump on it. So the mini skirt came in. But because the culture of the Western world, especially America, because there was a lot of value that still was placed on modesty. The miniskirt came in, but uh-oh, it's showing too much, especially when you sit down. So we've got to do something about this in Paris and London. So what? Solve the problem? Tights. Women will have to wear tights underneath these miniskirts so that when they sit down or when they, whoops, bend over, <laughs> you can't see up their name and address. <laughs> That's how tights came into vogue. But there was steady slippage in terms of how valuable female modesty was. It began to slip. So that now what once served as underwear is now streetwear. My, 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 a lot of you didn't think about that. Some of you are too young to know. We're talking about culture and what are the values that shape and govern culture that is expressed or that are expressed in human behavior. Modesty no longer counts. Do your own thing. You're an individual. So whatever you want is what you do. Who can tell you what to do?
Oh, that stuff is old fashioned. Okay. So you're using underwear as outerwear. And there's even more slippage. There is no, no purpose for a belt as far as men are concerned anymore. Even if they use the belt, the pants are still halfway down their buttocks, if not all the way underneath. These are the norms. And they are based on values. So what values become the norm? What causes that in young females? Maybe what they see on television. On YouTube, on TikTok. Maybe it's the way men start looking at them as objects. See, I'm on my way. No, not quite. Maybe next year. I'll be on my way to 90. <laughs> Yes, look at okay. the fine, <laughs> fine example. And I, I remember. <laughs> I couldn't believe what you told me. I remember the time as a young girl and a young woman where if two guys were drunk standing on the street corner talking not in anger or anything, just using a lot of vulgar language and everything. And they saw a child approach. They would straighten up. If they saw a woman approach, they would straighten up. If it was a child, hey, young blood, how you doing? Yeah, uh, okay, go on now. If it was a woman, hello, miss, how you doing? Huh? They would straighten up. I remember walking with my parents, and they were good looking. And I, I remember my mom. She would wear those big hats jacked over to the side, that big clutch purse under her arm, walking beside my father, who's good looking, okay, and he would have his hat. Pulled down on the side, swag. And we would approach someone being loud and obnoxious. Oh, how you doing, Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so? Yeah, I see the children are doing well. 
it would straighten up. Because there was pride. And actually, you can put a pin right in the 19, at, at that 1960s era. Up to that point, Africanity, blackness stood for excellence. Those were the days up to that era when we were taught coming off the plantation, if you only have one dress, one shirt, one pair of pants, you wash them the night before. You get up early enough to press them and you step out with pride. And we knew how to go to the secondhand store <laughs> and put that stuff together. You know, we know how to match. We know how to take a little bit of something, a little of this and a little of that, and put it together and make it look brand new. And the way we walked in those days, you knew that we were people with pride. Those days are long gone. Now I know all the historical ins and outs. I know all of that. But 